Welcome to the Genius Room, an ingenious podcast. At Ingenious, a small web design and digital marketing agency in Greenville, South Carolina, we're focused on helping local businesses grow and thrive. We love to educate and inform, and in that spirit, we wanted to share some of our insights and conversations with you. This episode of the Genius Room comes from an interview with Harold Hughes, CEO and founder of Bandwagon and Brickyard. A first-generation American with a diverse background, Harold brings a unique and fresh perspective to the startup space. Over the course of this discussion, we talk about Harold's origins as a small business owner, the challenges he's faced up until now, the current state of Greenville's entrepreneurship community, and the importance of collaboration and sharing your knowledge when starting a business. Keep in mind, since this is recorded at a networking event, the audio quality isn't perfect, but it's well worth your time. Enjoy. Good morning. Welcome to 10 Questions. We're excited that you're here. Um, want to give a shout out to the Warehouse Theater for hosting us this morning. Uh, they currently have a group in town called the Glow Lyric Theater, uh, which you may be familiar with. So that's the, the set that you see behind us. Um, I do want to give uh, a shout out to Jason Johnson, uh, the managing director of the Warehouse Theater. Uh, he and his uh, colleague, uh, Mike Sablone, who is the artistic director, will be our featured guest next month on August 23rd. So we're excited to have that. And it'll be right before they open uh, Rocky Horror. So, right. yeah, to begin the their 45th um, onstage season uh, here at the Warehouse Theater. So we're excited to be working with them to host these events. Um, we're also excited to have Harold Hughes with us um, this morning. Uh, he is the CEO and founder of Bandwagon. He is also the CEO and founder of Brickyard, a uh, co-working space over, um, I guess, in West Greenville. Yep. Yeah. Proud to be in West Greenville. Uh, so we've got some questions for him this morning, and we'll just dive in. Awesome. Um, so, Harold, what exactly is Bandwagon? So today, Bandwagon is very different from what it was when I started it. Uh, in 2014, I was finishing up my MBA while working uh, at ScanSource. So I was working at ScanSource off Pelham and then uh, getting my MBA at Clemson downtown. And finishing that course, the strategy was really to get a better you know, pay at my day job, Corporate America. And in my very last class, I was taking a course called uh, Strategic Management, where you basically pretend to be an entrepreneur, you get a case study, and from there you have to decide what is it that um, you should do in the right decision. So they give you a case that says, it's 1999, should Google sell to Yahoo? Um, And so I felt pretty good about it, and I found that I just wasn't a decision maker on my day-to-day job that allowed me to be that strategic. And so I said, well, if I was going to start something, um, what would I start and why would I do it? And so I knew it couldn't be about money. And so I'm really passionate about two things. Number one is connecting with people. And number two, sports. I love talking with people. So if there's something that um, you and I end up talking about after this, I'm like, oh, I know this person too. You should talk to them. Um, So I'm a big fan of leveraging my network to help others. But I also think that sports uniquely connects people together in ways that nothing else does. So I, I think... Um, often that Sunday mornings is the most segregated our country is when you think about race, religion, socioeconomic status, everyone's in their little pockets. But on college football Saturday, you know, the high school dropout and the PhD are hugging and high-fiving if their quarterback scores a game-winning touchdown. And so I really love that, like, component of how sports connects people. And so I started Bandwagon to do just that. Um, and we started out as a ticket marketplace. So imagine StubHub, but with a little button that says, I'm a Clemson fan, this is Clemson versus Carolina, I want to be able to sell my ticket to a Clemson fan anonymously. So I want to make as much money as possible, but I also want to control home field advantage. 
um, by reselling to a fan of my team. And we were doing that and uh, did that for a couple of years and things were going good, but we started running the challenges. Uh, two challenges were one, we, were, we couldn't figure out how to scale. How do we move to that next group of teams? Uh, and then number two, like how do we validate the tickets that were coming on our market? So, you know, for example, you know, have you ever bought something uh, for a concert or a game and it not be a real ticket? Like a lot of us have done that and you spend your hard earned money and changes your plans or it's embarrassing or any of these things. And so I said, man, like, well, surely the team knows who's in the venue and whose tickets are real. And so we started talking to teams and found out that they didn't. And the reason for that was all these different reasons and said, well, what if we tried to solve that problem? So we moved from being a ticket marketplace um, that was fan focused uh, to now being a data and analytics company. Uh, that focuses on helping teams identify who's actually in the venue on the day of the event, um, or concert artists or event organizers in general. Um, know who's in the venue on the day of the event, because if I'm able to help you understand the identity of who's possessing that ticket, then I'm also able to stop fraud. So if I know that I'm holding the only key to my car, if you walk up saying you got a key to this car, we can all know with certainty that that key is not correct. Um, and so really that's what we've pivoted to since last summer, fall. Um, and so Bandwagon's kind of reiterated itself in a way to partly survival, but partly um, capitalizing in like opportunistic market for us. Yeah. So what kind of success have you had so far with, with this new model? Uh, well, it's actually taken much more um, adoption in the market. Like people are really interested in it. Uh, a couple of years ago when we started thinking about it, no one was thinking identity, blockchain, ticketing. And now everyone's from, you know, the former CEO of a uh, of uh, Ticketmaster is interested in the space and Amazon was looking at it. And so now we're starting to see more and more interest and more uh, people putting money into it. Uh, one of our competitors, I think, has raised something like $30 million in Europe. Uh, and so we've got a lot of uh, interest in the space in that regard, but also uh, the conversations are actually happening. Uh, in the beginning, we would go in and say, hey, we've got a better ticketing platform for you than StubHub. And it makes more sense for you because if you're going to sell out the venue and you're Clemson University, the only thing that should matter to you is how many more Clemson fans can you get in. Like, the more of them, the more revenue you're going to sell on merchandise and all the other stuff. And so it was like, we could help you protect that. And the conversation didn't really go where, anywhere with many teams we talked to. But now um, we've, we've had a lot of success in being able to get the conversation started. Um, fortunately, um, like just the other day, we sent a presentation and proposal to a company in Jamaica that wants to use our ticketing solution for validating dance hall tickets, which is like concert, reggae music, and all this other stuff. Um, we sent a proposal to the city um, government of Dubai. Um, and so we're really working through that. Uh, in May, we um, had the opportunity to present out of more than 200 com uh, companies that applied in Dubai for a global blockchain challenge and came in fourth place um, out of everyone. And so it was really important for us to say, okay, well, there's market here globally. Let's not think just college football. Let's not just think in the U.S. So we've definitely been fortunate to have some of that uh, pick up steam globally. What are some of the challenges that you experienced kind of along the way? And I mean, you've already outlined one and kind of pivoting to a different, uh, different type of market. But what are some of the challenges you've had? Yeah, the biggest challenge has been um, getting started. Uh, and when you think about startups traditionally, they normally tell you you start a company with, you know, former, you know, coworkers or maybe your family. And so that's really Silicon Valley-esque or New York or maybe Boston and even some places like Austin. 
Um, but when you look at Greenville, the startup uh, ecosystem isn't that big. And so if I took people who I used to work with at ScanSource or people I went to school with at Clemson, um, there's less likelihood that we're thinking of the same kind of thing to create something from scratch. So in the beginning it was really like, who can help me build this thing and really getting the hands to help you lift it. Um, and then after that, I mean, you know, once you start getting the idea and start making some traction, the next thing was like funding. Um, and I was constantly on the road. So, you know, we've raised over a million dollars uh, so far and majority of my money is not from Greenville, not from South Carolina, which means airlines and flights and hotels and lots of travel in different time zones. Um, and so it's definitely really like being able to figure out how to manage the resources. And then the third thing I would say is definitely perception. Um, we try not to even mention blockchain as we talk about our, our solution when we're talking to our customers because a lot of people think like, oh, blockchain, that means Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and that means the black web and drugs online or whatever people buy with that stuff um, and scams. And so we try and uh, really differentiate ourselves from the way we use the technology, but it's such a cloudy, murky space right now that that's uh, something that we kind of have to understand it exists and be ready to like combat that as that uh, challenge arises. So you mentioned kind of some of the challenges with being in Greenville. Why, you know, for you personally, I mean, why, why did you start in Greenville? Why have you been dedicated to staying in Greenville? Yeah, I'm a person that really believes in uh, if you can leave an impact on something, like do, like do it. Uh, one of my favorite quotes, and I had it from um, probably high school, uh, is the true sign of greatness is when everything before you is obsolete and everything after you bears your mark. And I think that it's something that I've had, I mean, it's definitely been in my email signature since Clemson days and Gmail, and I think it's really important. Like being able to create something that has a lasting impact. And so I never wanted to be the person who went to a really established place and you know, kind of rode the coattails of what that wave was doing. And so being here in Greenville, I thought that you know, I had an opportunity to get in on the ground floor. Uh, I'm constantly speaking at Clemson or these local elementary schools or middle schools, just talking to students about how you can come from, you know, an example, you know, I'm a first generation American. My family is Jamaican. I was born in New York City. They moved to South Carolina and raised us in Columbia before I went to Clemson and got my degrees there. And we went through, you know, WIC and food stamps and, like, you know, bills and power being off and water being off and all these different things. And there's a way for you to pull yourself through that with the right help and the right opportunities. But then it's like, okay, well, then what's the rest of life? And I just don't feel like the 401k life was going to change me and my family's lifestyle. So for me, I thought startup was the opportunity. That's where you'd see some generational wealth created. And so I saw the opportunity to create here in Greenville and really show that an ecosystem could be created if we tried to. Um, and so that's why I'm really passionate about saying, you know, there's, there's great opportunity here. We have really smart people here. The cost of living is great. Geographically, we're two hours away from Atlanta and an hour and a half away from Charlotte. And then, of course, you know, there's Durham and the Triangle. So I think it's a great position. It's just a matter of um, getting the resources here uh, and getting the right, you know, talent, capital, and all the other stuff to make it work. Yeah. So, you know, you, you, you kind of mentioned some of the needs we have here. I mean, what, what do you feel like is the current state of the entrepreneurial ecosystem here in Greenville? I think it's um, one trick pony kind of right now. Uh, Greenville, unfortunately, um, is really focused in what it has done um, and not what it can do or what it wants to do in the future. And so a lot of the energy or attention we're getting are for healthcare startups. Um, and I completely understand the attention that some of them have gotten, but at the same time, I think it's important to not go all in on that because if that's what we end up doing, then we're competing against Nashville. 
And so it's like, okay, well, if it's Greenville or Nashville, Nashville's winning in that one. So it's like, okay, what can we be the best at? And so I think that's, you know, you see some of the challenges there even um, when you look at um, our automotive focus and some of the things that are happening economically in that. And you look at how that could be a big challenge for us if that's what our whole industry is. And so I love the fact that we um, have the opportunity to say we want to go and reinvent ourselves. I'm a big fan of the city of Pittsburgh. That's my dark horse candidate for Amazon's. HQ2, no one else is picking it, but that's my dark horse because I think that they were really smart in how they said, we're going to create a plan and we're going to be more tech focused. And now that city is um, fantastic and I love it. And, I, and I'm really uh, excited about what that leadership's done. But I think that um, when we look at the current state of entrepreneurship, there's a lot of cool companies um, who are having to leave the state, you know, um, or leave the city to go have an identity somewhere that they're probably. Um, more well-received or they've got funding resources or are able to hire the talent they need to at the pace they need to. Uh, I, I Google did a, a presentation for the chamber and was literally just clicking through headlines like former Greenville company is now in this city and it's like this city has this company that raised 12 million dollars or this city's company so-and-so has now hired 40 people to do this thing. It's like these companies were right here and now they're not and so I think that we've got to figure out a way to um, embrace things we don't understand uh, a little bit better. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about Brickyard and kind of your, your focus on that kind of changing a little bit of that landscape here for entrepreneurs. Yeah. So I talked a little bit about the fact that because I was in Greenville, I had to fly around and drive around and go to these different places, Atlanta and San Francisco and all these different places to learn and get the resources that I needed. Um, I'm a huge podcast fan, so I you know, appreciate the opportunity to get in front of y'all today. But for me, I looked at podcasts as the opportunity to like be a fly on a wall in a conversation I'd probably never be privy to. Um, and so I would constantly ingest a lot that way. Um, but one of the things I was learning as I traveled was like, man, these ecosystems have really figured out that you need a couple of things to make a startup community work. Number one, you need a physical and you need an intangible space. Um, so you need to have like a dedicated physical building where you can gather, but you also need to find some way to digitally communicate and we use some, a couple of different platforms. Um, but you also need to have um, some like capital, so some money, but also you need to support from the existing infrastructure. And so we knew there were co-working spaces that existed um, here, but the main thing that was lacking was the education and resources that tied to helping create something. And so for us, we do have a, a co-working component to ours, but what we're most excited about is the incubation. So if you're a startup founder and you want to figure out, um, you know, you've created this widget and you think it's the best widget in the world, well, our goal is to put mentors around you to help you figure out how to market that widget. Because maybe you're just really good at making widgets, but you have no idea how to price it, you have no idea how to market it, you have no idea how to acquire a customer, or you don't know how to make it at scale. So there's a lot of talent in Greenville and across the country that we have into our mentoring program that allows early stage startups to be able to say, I need someone to help me with marketing. And then we would say, what kind of marketing? And it's like, social media marketing. It says, okay, what kind of social media marketing? So, okay, uh, growth hacking strategies on Instagram. Okay, we will tie you to this person. Um, and that's what we really think is important in the Brickyard. And um, my goal in, in starting it essentially was, I had to learn all this stuff flying to all these different cities. And I want other people to be able to learn the same amount of information faster by just driving over to West Greenville. So we want to minimize the amount of time it takes to learn things and also help them get through these uh, challenges and barriers much quicker. Yeah. 
How does somebody get plugged in with Brickyard? We have a lot of different ways. Um, so we have membership where you can just say, hey, I want to be a member so that anytime there's an event, I'll be notified. Um, we've got everything from um, PDMA visits and meets there and Lead Her and Founder Institute, so all these great programs. Um, but then we also have you know, night and weekend. Let's say you've got a day job, but you're thinking about this entrepreneurship thing and you can't really get much work done at home to separate it. So we have a night and weekend membership pass. Um, you've got the opportunity to do day passes and everything, everything that makes collaboration and working together is what we've been trying to figure out how to do that. And so we've, we've built our, you know, our entire strategy around just allowing people to work in the way that they want to work. Yeah, that's cool. So switching gears a little bit, you know, as an entrepreneur, you know, how did it feel to leave a steady job uh, and start something brand new with Bandwagon? I mean, what, what, what was going through your mind at that point? I mean, how, how did that feel? Yeah, um, it was really crazy. I think that one of the things that I encourage people to do is de-risk your decisions. Uh, I have a degree in economics, and, and I think about that, that kind of stuff all the time um, and decision-making and all that stuff. So when it came to bandwagon, as I finished my MBA, I basically said, okay, now that I'm done with my MBA, I'm going to take all the hours that I was spending on my MBA and put that into bandwagon. So night and weekends that I would have been studying and going to class, I put that into starting my startup and saying, okay, let me de-risk this. Let me learn more about the industry. I'm going to tell everyone what I'm working on and, and really try and get as many people to help me build it. And so when it came down to making the actual leap, um, it was more of a nudge. Like I, um, I've been a scan source for almost 10 years um, and had a job opportunity that came out of nowhere that said, hey, you know, we'll pay you, you know, this much money and you'll work from home, we'll give you a car allowance. I was like, man, that's awesome. It sounds like I'm gonna have the perfect amount of flexibility to work this thing on the side. And, um, and after six months there, they decided it wasn't a good fit. And so it was really blindsiding to me to have ever been fired in a job where I wasn't even looking for it. And so um, that was uh, January 15th of 2016. And I said, okay, cool, I've got a weekend I'm gonna give myself to kind of wallow in bourbon and you know my thoughts and basically said okay well I could go back into corporate America people will hire me I had job offers and I said I've done all this groundwork like I think it makes sense to make the jump and at that point it was really important for me to more so for my family to say I'm not gonna allow anyone to dictate uh, my ability to provide for them and so it was really more of a nudge in the right direction to say, hey, you've been working on this thing. You've de-risked it. Like, you should go full-time. And so uh, that was more of like a, okay, I'm going to go own this thing and try and uh, not only create jobs for myself and my family, but also um, for other people and their families. That's awesome. Um, how, did it feel any different the second time around in starting Brick, uh, Brickyard? That one, it was just much easier. Uh, we were able to raise money much faster, um, especially locally, because it was a no, it was a thing that made sense. People could physically see it and touch it, and so getting money locally from you know Clemson University or the chamber, it's like okay, great, this makes a lot of sense. Uh, but also, it was a lot of okay, we've seen Harold do this thing, and he's been doing it long enough. You know, uh, it could all you know, it's a house of cards as you're doing a startup, so I could it could fail and be back working you know wherever tomorrow. Uh, but we've been really fortunate to keep going, and I think that when I presented the challenge in, in what Greenville was facing and the solution being Brickyard, people understood this guy gets the problem. He understands it and he's living and eating it and breathing it. Um, let's support him in creating it. So that's definitely been really positive and it allowed for that road to be much smoother in getting started. That's cool. Okay, so last question. If there's one thing um, that we should know about entrepreneurship, what is it? The number one thing to know about entrepreneurship is that uh, collaboration is a is a key differentiator in the beginning and I say that to mean 
there's this mentality that if you have something that it needs to be kept really closely to you. Uh, and so one of the things that I've said for a while is knowledge should be like a library and not a vault. If you know something, you should be sharing it with people, not guarding it and keeping it to yourself. And I say the same thing with entrepreneurship. So normally if you start out with a business idea and you'll say, okay, I've got this idea and I'm going to meet with Chris and Chris is like, hey, Harold, I know you got this idea. You know, what can I help you with? I say, great, Chris, it's going to change the game. It's really revolutionary. I need you to sign this NDA that I'm going to tell you about it. And if Chris is, you know, Chris is like me, he'll say, I'm not signing the NDA, but good luck. You know, I support you, but I'm not signing an NDA because the idea isn't, novel you know it's not the thing that's going to matter um, I don't think that whoever decided delivery pizza was going to be a differentiator had that much of an advantage which other people realized they could do it so the key thing I would say is when you can collaborate early that allows you to learn a lot faster so I was a single starter uh, start, single founder and started the company by myself and so the, the thing that I did that allowed me to get out ahead was tell everyone what I was working on I told everyone, even while I was at Game Source, hey, I'm starting this ticketing company. I want to help fans have a better game day experience. And people were like, oh, yeah, that sounds awesome. I would love that. It's like, great. So if you run into any issues on like how your experience, experience is bad, let me know. I want to figure out how to fix it. And if there's things you love about game day, let me know because I want to make sure I incorporate it. Incorporate it. And what, I, what, what happened after that was magical. Like randomly at like 11, 15 in the evening, someone would send me an email. and was like, hey, did you see this article about this thing? And I'd say, I don't know. I, I didn't see it. That's awesome. Thanks for thinking of it or sending it to me. And that was really what allowed me to learn faster is that I had really smart people like we all do, our friends, family, coworkers, who were like, oh, Harold's working on this thing and he mentioned it. I don't have to know the nuts and bolts of it, but like this is the wheelhouse that he's building. I'm going to send him this thing. And so I think that early on collaboration can be a key differentiator in getting started. But unfortunately, so many people choose to go it alone and protect it and be really private. And in the end, it probably limits the ability to scale or launch or um, be successful. And so I think that that's something that if we just change the way we think about it, it can change that mindset really quickly. That's awesome. Uh, let's give Harold a round of applause. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. Uh, and thank you all for joining us for 10 questions. That's it for this month's podcast. Thank you for stopping by the Genius Room to listen. And as always, if you want to hear more in the future, make sure to subscribe. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For August episode, we'll have an interview with Jason Johnson and Mike Sablone of the Warehouse Theater, the gracious hosts of our networking events and huge contributors to the artistic culture of Greenville. That interview will take place during our next networking event, which is on August 23rd at the Warehouse Theater. Doors open at 8 a.m. and the interview starts at 8.30. See you then.